How's it going, Thomas? <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> That's a complicated <laughs> question. Uh, Insert deep sigh here. Um, yeah, so I guess it's been two weeks, but it hasn't really been two weeks because we did a show, but... <laughs> it was a great show. It was the best the show universe ever. decided that it was... It actually was... A, you know, so... I, you know, it's every How many times have we done Sam this? Says, like, at least 125, it's been 135 times. Yeah. yeah. But, but we've been every podcasting week, you for know, five Sam, years. Oh, it's the best show we've done. <laughs> and... That was actually a really good show that we did, but it's uh, now lost to the ethers. But well, I, I've got my audio, but yeah, I, I recorded. We've been it. podcasting for a while, <laughs> <laughs> only seven years, and it, well, I'm on a new rig and I've, I've got a new setup, and I've, we've gone back to Skype. Um, Zencaster is great, but it's it it was causing me lots of time. Um, so I, you know, I was like, oh, we'll just go back to Skype. So now we're back on Skype and Pamela and call recorder and all that good stuff and and i'd set the wrong input evidently so that that was a a rookie mistake for sure that's something that we did in the first 10 episodes so i mean you, I know. you know when when you get to this level of, of of achievement you would think that you know you could hold it together as a professional and make the kind of you know qualified decisions that people expect from you because you know people don't don't get to this level this status and and act like amateurs right Thomas, do, do you believe in climate change? I was, I was alluding yeah. to the president. Yeah, well, you know, really, we're just trying to um, – yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, we're trying to make um, make our listeners feel good about themselves. We're just everyday people just like they are, right? <laughs> <laughs> I will not release my tax returns. I, I, I've released my statements. We make no money, and especially none from Russia. But Russia, if you'd like to contact me, you know, slide into my DMs anytime. Did you see that Twitter changed that? <laughs> Uh, if you're a Russian oligarch, it's at Sam Harrelson. Uh, did you see that the Twitter changed um, the, uh, the the Twitter app itself uh, with with DMs? Do you, oh, do you I haven't paid attention. The latest and greatest in tech news. Yeah, so if you go into the Twitter app, at least on Android here, I think it works on iOS too, on your toy operating system. Um, if you go into your DMs, it'll at the bottom it'll say like. Uh, conversations or something and then beside it it says uh let me find it says requests i yes. see it now yeah inbox yeah and inbox and requests so like th this week i had <laughs> i had the opportunity to purchase conveyfade.net at like 12:05 a.m because i was up late and i had some beverages and you know president trump tweeted out his very famous conveyfay tweet which we can talk about later but I was like, that's a domain. <laughs> so I run over to uh, Hover or GoDaddy or something and, and register uh, register the uh, the domain and just point it to my my website. God, it sounds so old. Point it to my website. Um, and uh, anyway, some someone or lots of people have written me over the last couple of days. Evidently, they've they've had the, a similar idea. Uh, so <laughs> this week, I got three or four um, just kind of random requests, like, "Hey, would you be willing to sell this?" and I kept getting the notification, then I would go into my DMs, and I'm like, where, where's, where are these messages? And I was like, oh, and then I went back and did some research, and yeah, it turns out uh, Twitter's changed that. So maybe they're going to actually do what we've always wanted them to do and come out with a, um, a Twitter a standalone DM app. app. God, I mean, that would, I know. Well, so, it, at least so it's kind of like the Facebook messages. With. Yeah, I know. 
Um, but it's kind of like the Facebook messages, right? For where for a long time they had this like secret inbox that you never knew about. Right. And it was buried in like, you know, under 14 menus. And then you're like, oh, I see this, this, you know, message you sent me from 20. <laughs> Sorry. Like I had no idea. Facebook didn't notify me or anything. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, they'll have to work those kinks out. Uh, but maybe they'll go to a standalone app. Probably not, because nothing we want Twitter to do. Do they actually do? But well, we've got memories. Everyone uses memories. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody uses like memories or moments or yeah. I mean, just I make don't that know. The, the trending tab, or you know, like I mean, occasionally I'll pop in and you know, if I've got like five minutes and I'm standing in line at the grocery store, I'm like, oh, I wonder what's trending on Twitter right now, which is always a dumpster fire to begin with, but. You know, sometimes yes. it's good for a laugh. It's like looking at the National Enquirer, um, you know, while you're in the grocery store line. Um, so I, I, uh, I don't know why they they put memories there, but anyway. So is Nikki Haley going to run for president in 2020? Yeah, probably. She did some good things for South Carolina, but generally I was not a big fan. And my puppy just busted. I'm sorry. Um, I mean, you know, we we live with with her leadership for uh, six or seven years. Yeah. And, um, you know, she was, she had her, her moments like with the mother Emanuel, um, right. You know, event and situation and, and aftermath. Uh, she was, she was great there. And, and even with Walter Scott, um, the African-American male who was shot in, in North, North Charleston by the police officer. Um, she handled that really well. Uh, the hurricane was, you know, not too bad, except in the aftermath, she wouldn't let, South Carolina farmers get like federal aid because that was unfair to other small businesses or some BS. Anyway, um, but yeah, I mean, she, you know, I think she's got that moderate streak, so who knows? And and she's she's kind of the the old school pro yeah, I mean, business Republican, you know, like unlike Trump, who's got that that populist thing, and that's his right, you know, his stick. I mean, she really is pro business because of, you know what's been happening in South Carolina where we're getting. You know, Volkswagen and Boeing, and we've got Michelin and BMW and these major uh, international companies that have invested a lot of money. And now BMW, you know, is huge in the upstate. And, uh, you know, things like, like Trump telling Germany how very, very bad they are for selling German cars to <laughs> Americans, yeah. you know, kind of insults uh, a big part of our state and our state economy. So I don't know. I don't know why I'm going off on a Nikki Haley tangent. But. Well, it's because she said – uh, you know, today that Donald Trump does believe in climate change and that humans bear some reason. But again, yeah. I, I don't know. I give it 48 hours before Trump contradicts that. So, but she is, I mean, she's playing things right. Um, certainly kind of really catapulted her onto the national, um, stage after Mother Emanuel. And I agree. She handled that situation uh, very well. Um, and we'll see what happens. I mean, she's, she has the right rhetoric, right, in kind of her current role as ambassador to the UN, and the pubs are agreeing with me uh, every as I do when I drop my truth. Um, and you know she's got tough words for the right people and things like that. So that's going to play well. Um, she's in a honestly a fairly, I mean this is not going to sound good, but a fairly easy position, right? It's kind of, I mean not that ambassadorships are easy, but it's kind of easy at the UN. To say, like, this is, you know, we're going to stand up for human rights. Okay. And even if Trump isn't doing it, she's still saying, oh, no, but, you know, this is what America cares for. So, like, she's got the good sound bites going for her. Um, the fact that she kind of went all in on um, 
the Trump campaign and Trump administration. Uh, we'll see how that potentially comes back to bite her if she wants to run in 2020. But, but she didn't initially. Um, I mean, she was not a Trump supporter, and he said some bad things about her, and it wasn't like a, a you know love of her sight type thing during the uh, during the campaign. Right. So we we were all very surprised here. Not we all, but I'm being hyperbolic, of course. But lots of us here in South Carolina who follow politics were very surprised that she. Um, you know, attached herself to Trump after he became the nominee. And, you know, there was lots of talks of her being the, the vice presidential candidate. Uh, right. So, yeah, I, I do think she'll she'll run for president eventually. And, you know, she's she's kind of got that perfect um, resume, you know, behind her, you know, being the governor of a, a state that really turned around. I mean, they're expecting Columbia to double in size by 2050. So the, yeah. the census said that, you know, we're expecting three and a half million people in Columbia by, by 2050, which – there are only 4 million people in South Carolina, so I'm not, not sure how that's going to work. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's it's going to be interesting, but I, uh, yeah, I, I, it, it warms my heart to see, even though I, I d- disagree with lots of her uh, views and, and things that she stands for, it's nice to see a Republican that does push back a little on Trump, even if it's passive-aggressive, and doesn't support everything, and is willing to go out there and say things like, yes, yeah. Uh, humans are changing the climate. I mean, that's a big statement for a national Republican to make. And, and it, it shows the, the shifting tide on, on issues like climate change. Um, but also it shows there is a side of the Republican Party that is willing to say, yes, humans are causing climate change, but hold on, that's not necessarily a bad thing because that's going to create lots of jobs in places like South Carolina where over in Sumter, South Carolina, about 30 minutes from here, we have um, this huge plan in the middle of a pretty small rural town uh, that, that makes bearings for uh, windmills, and it's one of the, the largest you know, makers of these types of bearings, and, and they've got clients from Germany and China and Brazil and all these you know, interesting places. So, you know, Trump's populism only takes you so far, um, and it's, it's all theoretical, you know, but when the paycheck needs to go to the factory workers, it's, it's not the coal miners that are going to be restarting the economy. It's it's things like solar and wind power that are going to be leading that way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I saw a stat this week that was um, there are more people employed by the like bowling industry than the coal industry in this country. Now. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. So it's just kind of like laughable that – you know, coal has become this thing. I mean, I, I think it's important that the people that are that are now out of jobs um, and they worked in coal mines, that we do what we can to help them. And the people that are currently in, you know, working in coal jobs, that we do what we can to help them transition to other things. I think that's really important. Um, but like that, that coal jobs have become this. It's just a litmus test, right? And it and it's a completely nonsensical one. And if Haley plays it right, and if the Republican Party does as well, which they just have not as a whole seem to be able to do in the past year or so. Um, that's absolutely right. I mean, there's a pro-business point to be made related to climate change, um, and Republicans are just leaving it on the table for the most part. So, I mean, yeah. we'll see what happens. I think largely, she's kind of playing things mostly right right now, but, you know, attaching herself to Trump, um, I mean, it looks opportunistic. Right. At the very least. Um, and, you know, I think there are legitimate questions and there will be legitimate questions if she tries to move up even more of 
you know, because she's going to be distancing herself from Trump even more if she's trying to run in 2020, particularly against him if he happens to still be in office then. Um, and if he's not, then she's also going to be distancing herself from him. And it's going to kind of be hard to do. Well, why did you decide to work for his administration? And why did you not call him out on A, B, and C? Right. So, I mean, she's got a tough road ahead if that's what she's hoping to do. But I won't be I think, surprised I think if you she too much. I don't think people are. I don't know. I, I don't think that the gotcha politics works post George W. Bush. I mean, I think maybe, you know, up until a certain point that that was a viable thing, but. I mean, you look at some of the statements that leading Democrats and Republicans have made over the last few years, and, you know, there's – I mean, what Chuck Schumer is saying now about the Senate, it's like, well, it's your fault <laughs> we got to this point because of, you know, the idiotic rules that the Democrats made when they were uh, in control of the Senate and, um, you know, things like that. But I apologize if you can hear Ben. He's he's fighting a nap, evidently. Um I don't know. It's 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 kind of weird. It, it feels. I don't know. We we were talking on Twitter this morning. We were tweeting on Twitter about um, issues related to Trump and uh, his his sort of I guess personal faith. And yeah, it, it's it's an interesting conversation just based on the makeup. We've got a we've got a tulip guy in there. We've <laughs> a post party in tulip. <laughs> we've got. <laughs> um, What's what's the other uh, Ben Burleson, Burl, um, mm -hmm. uh, you and me and and uh, Mariana was asking me about it earlier because she was she saw some things. Anyway, uh, I, I don't know. It just feels like we're in this weird kind of transitory part of it, of the American experiment, if you will. Not to use that cliche, <laughs> but it, it feels very perilous between kind of the the church stuff and denominations and what people understand. And what people want to understand, what people are willing to, you know, do when they say things like, "Oh, you're not an evangelical, sorry, you're a Christian," but then just the whole political landscape. When you think about like the Paris Accords this week with Trump pulling out of that, and it's like, well, are we really just kind of doing our own Brexit, and we're we're pulling out of everything so that someone like China or Germany can step up and become that country that you know I grew up in as being the you know the leader of the free world and the one that came out with the iPhone and the one that did you know, put a man on the moon first, you know, like that kind of leadership role really feels, um, convey fey now. <laughs> um, okay. So there, there's a lot, there's a lot yeah, there. Pack that and, one. I'm going to go uh, have some toasters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I mean, I do want to, um, kind of talk about a couple of those different aspects for sure. Um, and if, if you don't know what kind of set off some of this conversation, uh, and some other people have been, you know, having it uh, recently too. Uh, after the CNN piece got posted, and and the CNN piece is called uh, "God and the Dawn," uh, which is a good title, and it's written by MJ Lee, and it's it's a really good piece actually. And it and it kind of explores Trump's really kind of interesting relationship with uh, religion um, throughout his life, you know, when he's baptized and married and and things like that. But the kind of opening vignette is what has struck most people and it's kind of amazing so what happens is two uh, presbyterian pastors um go to uh trump right after the inauguration uh in trump tower 
Uh, one of them is um, Patrick O'Connor, senior pastor at First Pres Church in Queens. The other is uh, Scott Black Johnston, the pastor of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian. So these are both PCUSA churches, and they went to pray with him. And um, at a certain point, Trump interrupts them and, and says, I did very, very well with the evangelicals in the polls. And then this, the piece says that they gently reminded Trump that neither of them was an evangelical. Well, what are you then? Trump asked. They explained they were mainline Protestants, the same Christian tradition in which Trump, a self-described president, and claims membership. Like many mainline pastors, they told the president-elect they lead diverse congregations. Trump nodded along and posed another question to the two men. But you're all Christians? Yes, we're all Christians. So it's amazing on its face that Trump claims to be Presbyterian and two Presbyterian pastors come to pray with them. And he's like, wait, are y'all Christians? Like are Presbyterians Christians? Which is kind of like the icing on the cake of everything that we've known about Trump and his relationship to Christianity for the, for the past couple of years of the campaign and, and the first few months of the administration is that he has no relationship with Christianity. So he says he's Presbyterian, but that that to, I, I think is the extent of it. Um, he even tried to say, I'm a member of such and such church. And then that church was like, um, actually, no, you're not. <laughs> right? We don't want to claim you and we don't want you to even try to claim us. Um, so that's kind of amazing on its face. I think it goes a lot um, a lot further than that with why this to me um, is worth really kind of talking about and highlighting. And that relates to the scores of evangelicals that have willingly accepted Trump as their standard bearer and have all of a sudden, uh, a, you know, supposedly uh, decided that, well, it's OK if somebody's not perfectly a Christian. You know, he's a young Christian, which a lot of people say about Trump, but Trump never says about himself. He was trying to learn. Nobody. You know, a lot of people are saying that about Trump, but Trump never says that about himself. Um, so a lot of people are really trying to kind of give him cover. And largely what you see is the majority of evangelicals in this country decided it was completely acceptable to abandon the one principle that they've had for decades or that they have at least claimed to have for decades, that somebody has to be a true, real, born-again Christian. And so they question Obama's faith. He's really a secret Muslim. They question Clinton's faith and her Methodism, uh, something that looks completely genuine and sincere in the few times that she does talk about it publicly. Uh, and they decide, no, we're going to go with Donald Trump. He is God's chosen for us. And what it really lays out to me is that it was never about the president being a good, true, real, born-again Christian it has always been about conservative politics, which is completely fine, right? I mean, I say on this show a lot, and I said on Twitter, all religion is politics. I believe that wholeheartedly. I don't have a problem with that. Um, but what we're seeing is just this kind of, I mean, really kind of amazing level of hypocrisy being unmasked, if you will. And um, it just, it doesn't sit well with me. And, and I think it's really important that, that we highlight it, that we call it out, um, and that the religious left uh, take this opportunity. That they have talked about this on the show before too. That they have, they're not getting very many of them to kind of claw back a little bit and you know just project their authenticity with whatever authenticity they have. I, I don't know. I mean, so I mean, I kind of went off on this on Twitter, um, 
but that to me, I think is just, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's, it's not surprising, but I think that we can't just let ourselves get used to this, right? This is not normal is what we keep saying. It is kind of amazing that evangelicals of all people, I mean, of all religious groups in this country, that evangelicals would allow themselves to be such a cheap prop for somebody like Donald Trump. Well, it's been a long time coming. I mean, for, for what we're calling evangelical now, which, I mean, we can I, no, I a whole agree. separate yeah, absolutely. You know, discussion about, you know, my distaste for, you know, uh, liberals, conservatives, the press, whoever using that term evangelical to talk about Kenneth Copeland or, you know, not to name names, but yeah. Al Mohler is not an evangelical. <laughs> you know, it's, but he gets lumped into that group of these conservative religious, what we used to call the religious right. You know, now that's passe. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, I, I mean, and, and this is kind of where we went back and forth on Twitter is that I know lots of people who, if he said, are you evangelical? They would say, yeah. And they would say, are, are Presbyterians evangelicals? They would say, I don't know. Or can you be a, Presby- a Presbyterian and an evangelical? Yeah, who knows? Um, but I mean, I, I go to church with people who would say that Catholics aren't Christians. You know, and I've got right. <laughs> I mean, not to be anecdotal here, but I don't. I don't think Trump is showing like some kind of. I don't think it's malicious. I don't think it's born out of um, his willing ignorance. Which I mean, it is. But I mean, I think I, I read this statement as him really asking, "Oh, you're you're not evangelical, so can you be Christian?" Like I, I really. The way I read this piece, or that part of this piece, it wasn't so much as a indictment as, as like a, a real question, you know. And he was. I know. Sort of, that's sort of putting the, that's this, my point, though. Uh, yeah, but I mean, it's almost like it. Well, go what ahead. is on display here is his is his just utter ignorance, right? And and you know, some people were on you know you and a couple other people on Twitter were like, well, you know, I know a lot of people would you know say this or that, and but. But Trump is not here making a statement that non-evangelicals aren't Christians. Um, he, you know, he's not making. I, I grew up with plenty of people who didn't think that uh, Catholics are Christians. I know plenty of people now who don't think that anybody who's not evangelical is a real Christian, right? But but they have a reason for that, wrong as I may think it is, right? That's not Trump here. I, I agree. Trump with that. here is I, actually I, I ignorant agree. and has no desire to actually. Thing, even about the fesses to identify as. And that to me is what's striking here. But the, Particularly, and it should be to there, evangelical. Right? I mean, this no, is- that's exactly right. This, this is the latest in a pattern of his ignorance and his lack of desire to learn about anything. I mean, you know, it's like the, the G7 stuff where it's, you know, the, evidently the aides were saying, unless it had his name in it or. You can you could condense it into four minutes like he wasn't going to pay attention. And I think he's got, you know, he he went to Rents Priebus or whoever and said, hey, I need this religious consulting you know group around me. Who should it be? And they looked at the poll numbers and they looked at, you know, the, the you know, traditional religious landscape. And they said, oh, well, you need Kenneth Copeland and, and this guy and, and this guy from the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, yeah, it's a crazy lady from Florida who's a televangelist. And uh, and that'll do because that's what Christianity is in, in the United States for, for our demographic, you know. Like we don't we don't need uh, you know the social justice people. That's that's not real Christianity. And I think a lot of people outside of Christianity who 
I, I would say Trump is like you're. I mean, I get what you're saying. He's outside of what we would call, you know, a, a, an observant <laughs> Bible-believing person, you know. And and even though he ascribes to something different, like he does everything else, you know, I don't think he's the world's greatest golf player, but you know, he he does try to interact with that, and he shows a passion for it. So he's he's got that capability. I just don't think that this is faith is something that serves his ultimate goal, which seems to be the acquisition of money and casinos. Um, so when he has, has a circle of people around him telling him what Christianity is, and that's implicitly tied to the evangelicals, and he probably heard that word evangelical a million bajillion times during the campaign and after the campaign because – and watching Fox News, yeah. Exactly. Sure. Evangelicals love Trump. I mean, Sean Hannity's an evangelical. Glenn Beck's an evangelical. You know, uh, Bill O'Reilly, good, good evangelical. You know, uh, what, what's his book on, you know, the Christ Killers or whatever? Yeah, um, Killing Jesus. Yeah. You know, and all all the all the great, you know, Mars Hill churches did uh, lots of, of uh, Bible studies I think, on that. So I'm just saying, I, I think, I think it's you're a, right. It's a cultural appropriation of. Christianity and people like us who are in the know are like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, how could you not know that, you know, <laughs> Presbyterians aren't necessarily evangelical? But I, I guess what we, you know, me and, and Ben and I don't know what uh, McBacon was saying, but just, um, you know, he's he's already saved with the limited atonement thing. He's, he's all set. And you are, too, now. <laughs> no, no, that's not Apparently. true. You, you can be a Calvinist, but not necessarily <laughs> be in, in, you know, the capital L group. Anyway. Um, so the, the, it's not, it's not in complete insanity to me because I hear this, but I agree. Like, yes, our president should know this distinction and any other president in the modern era, even George W. Bush, which is a low bar would know, you know, this, this distinction, I, I believe, um, but it, it, I think it says a lot yeah, about um, Christianity in America or Christianities in America in, in 2017. Yeah. So, so first, um, I would ex I have this expectation of any person, whether they're a political leader, whether they're president or not, that if they have said over and over again, I'm Protestant, I'm Presbyterian, but then they don't know that Presbyterians are Christians, then I would have – largely the same reaction to them as I have to kind of Trump personally on this front, which is that is ridiculous. You're clearly not what you're claiming to be. Okay. And, and you know that I, I am, I am loath to uh, kind of draw all these boundaries to make these distinctions and say that what somebody claims to be, they're not. Um, yeah, this is that's but, interesting. But on the other hand, this, I, I think the conversation because this is sort of like I know. atypical of you. <laughs> that's why I'm trying to wrap my head around. Really, this. really atypical of me. No, that that's absolutely right. Um, so there's that part which is um, problematic, et cetera, et cetera. But but uh, again, I think your your point stands that this is uh, this actually tells us more about uh, Christianity and particularly evangelicalism in the u.s right now than it does about donald trump's personal faith or lack thereof and that's the point i've been trying to make that that's why i think this is so important that even with episodes like this where he his complete ignorance and his his and i would call this willful ignorance he has no desire to learn about this right i mean i know 
I know a lot of evangelicals. I grew up as an evangelical. I don't know a single person who would actively claim the mantle of evangelical that would not, if this were any other person, have serious problems with Trump continuing to claim to even be Christian at this point. But somehow none of that matters now that it's a it's a Republican strongman in office. And, and I just I just don't think that we can stop making that point. Well, and uh, yes, but at the same time, this this I'm speaking in generalities. I apologize. This strand of Christianity of American Christianity that, it, you know, it's 30 something percent of, of the population. Whereas mainline Protestantism is 13 percent of the population. The strand doesn't predicate or it doesn't need. I don't want to say facts. It doesn't need like a historical understanding of, of you know, the, whether Presbyterians are Christians or that, you know, actually that conception of heaven that you like in, in your movies where the little kid dies and goes to heaven or whatever and writes a book about it. That's not really what heaven is like, according to the biblical narrative and 2000 years of Christian tradition. But you've been sold this thing that packages up really well and. I, I think it's it's hard for us, or at least for me. I mean, I'm, I'm almost 39, and I grew up in an era where denominations were important. In in my little small rural town, like it was, I we looked at the Methodists in a, in a little different light, you know. And I was always kind of intrigued, like, are, are they eating babies in there? Like, what's going on at the Methodist church? Or I'm <laughs> we we drove by the only Catholic church in the county once, and my mom said. And so what's different about them than us, which you know is a hell of a question, right? And yeah. I'll never forget her response was, well, they worship the baby Jesus instead of the adult Jesus. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. <laughs> so, and and uh, I think she was being sincere, you know, and, and she was yeah, a 40-something-year-old right. woman who, you know, worked at a school. So uh, I don't I don't see it as outlandish. I just – I see this as, you know, kind of a – a waking up moment for those of us who who want to pretend that something like Christianity can be immune from idiocracy, you know, or, or yeah, I mean, this is a, a like, God, what a dumbass statement or question. And like you said, you know, if anybody asked me that, it would be like, Ugh. but then, you know, I've got mainline Protestant friends who were Methodists and Presbyterians and Lutherans who, when, you know, they meet Mariana and they're like, what do you do? And she says, oh, well, I'm a Baptist or I'm a, I'm a pastor. And they're like, well, what church? And she says, well, you know. Someone said Baptist church. And uh, they're like, but, but Baptist? Wait, what? You're all Southern Baptist. You're all in this group. You're, you all look like this. You know, you can only have male pastors. You have to have a penis to be a pastor. Or, you know, whatever. And, you know, on, on both sides, we, we make these classification lines. And we say, well, if, if you're Catholic, you look like this. And you act like this. And you don't, you know, every sperm is sacred. And, and you and your wife have ten kids. And... You know, you're not really observant, but you, you pray on your rosary and, and you uh, you don't really care about anything until you have to go stand in line and, and get your little wafer. You know, and if you're Baptist, you look like this. And I think so much of that is breaking down, but also so much of that is just not reflective of American society and culture at this point. You know, if, if you're a young person, especially here in the South, and again, I'm speaking in generalities, if you're a young person and young white 
cisgendered person, I should say, and you move from, you know, your small town to a bigger town like Charlotte or Columbia or Charlottesville or Chattanooga, Atlanta, whatever, and you go to a church, you're going to get to like a, you know, kind of a non-denominational church with a, with a band and there's guitars and that kind of thread of Christianity is what Trump taps into because they don't really care about the facts. They don't really care about homoousiness. You know, it, 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 I don't need to know about the treaty or, or the, you know, the council of, of uh, Constantinople or, or Nicaea to understand my, my, my faith. All I know is that God loves me. And this guy playing gu the guitar, you know, during the bridge says that God loves me. And we're all going to go out and, and watch, um, you know, the, the movie about the kid who goes to heaven. <laughs> like, like that's, I mean, that's, um, that's where I think American Christianity is going because social justice has lost. Tulip is one. We're all Calvinist. <laughs> <laughs> we're all reformed. It, it's the leading dialogue. It's the Kenneth Copeland. Uh, it's over. That's what I mean. You know, like, you don't see people flocking to the Methodist church. <laughs> You know, there's a certain demographic there. And I'm not saying that. Yeah, that's true. Needs and to, to have guitars to, to get the young people in. But it's kind of like when Democrats say, no, no, we let's let's sit down, and have a serious conversation about the Smoot-Hawley Act or Smoot-Hawley Tariff. Like, ugh, that doesn't work anymore. Not that I don't wish that it would. But people don't want to have serious conversations about these things, including Christianity's. So, so in large part, I agree with you and kind of your diagnosis of American Christianity. Um, at least the first part of it. I, I, I disagree with you that social justice is lost and Tulip is won. Um, I think Tulip is winning in the Southern Baptist, which has been a really interesting thing to watch over the past couple of decades, right? As, as Southern Baptists have become, um, much more Calvinistic. It's really, really interesting to and watch. I, I and as like Presbyterians. Yeah, I, I keep meaning to make yeah. a post about this. I really want to have a conversation. We can do it on a podcast with someone who's a Baptist. You don't have to be Southern Baptist. You can be Alliance or Cooperative with a Baptist who claims to be Reformed, like my father-in-law. <laughs> I should probably have a conversation with him. But <laughs> how? Like that blows my mind. Like how can you – because I like historical theology. Like how, how do you put those two together? It, it's like – Legos and Duplos, like it, right? Yeah, it's kind of amazing, right? This like traditionally like gung ho free will group is now all of a sudden Calvinist. I mean, it's it's been really kind of interesting to watch, right? And it, and it's funny because you know you see like Presbyterianism, at least in the PCUSA um, strand of it, and in, in my opinion, becoming less Calvinist, um, at least in the traditional kind of maybe pejorative term of uh, sense of the term. Um, so, so I, I don't think social justice has, has lost. And in, in fact, in a lot of ways, uh, and I've said this on the show before, right? That, uh, in a lot of ways, I think liberal Christianity, like it, it might lose a battle here or there, but it's kind of largely winning the war. Um, if we're going to talk about these like social, the war of like social issues and things like that, um, the way that society is trending is toward liberal Christianity, um, and, and away from evangelical, uh, conservatism. And, and as I said on Twitter, well, I, I think evangelicals are shrinking as a, a proportion of the population. And and if you look at the latest Pew data, what it tells us is that uh, evangelicals are 25 percent. Evangelical Protestants 
are 25% of the population. Unaffiliated is 23% of the population. So, and those, those will continue to get closer and then evangelicals will get passed by the unaffiliated and the not too distant future. Mainline Protestants, yeah, they will probably continue to shrink, though I don't think that's a given necessarily, but, um, if they don't change, you know, things don't change that, that will happen. Um, so yeah, I, I think I, I, it's what I've said a lot, right? That Trump is a symptom. Trump is not the problem in and of himself. Trump is a symptom of deeper problems in our country. And, and on this point, he's a symptom of, I think, deep problems within evangelicalism. I grew up evangelical. I'm obviously not anymore. I'm obviously very, very far away from that now. But this, the evangelical support of Donald Trump, um, has made me sad for evangelicalism. Like this is, in my opinion, this is bad for evangelicalism because they are losing any shred of credibility that they had. Yes, they, they, they still have some people in power. That's obvious. That's evident by what's going on in the Trump administration right now. Um, but I think you and I, Sam, are pretty much agreed that we're probably seeing kind of the last gasps of that. Um, and, and if nothing changes, they're going to, you know, if they keep pushing out people, um, like Moore, right, who has, who stood up against Trump, um, consistently throughout the, uh, the campaign and his administration on, on, and has been consistent. I don't agree with him on a lot of things, but he's been very consistent on his principles. Um, and they keep, uh, pushing people like him out then they're going to continue to kind of slide into obscurity uh, and have zero credibility with anybody outside of their ever-shrinking circles. I think you're wrong. I mean, I, I think, we're, you know, if, if if you're looking at total numbers like that, I mean, Hillary won the election by 3 million votes. You know, like national trends, national numbers, it's all about, you know, the local. I mean, politics are definitely local now. And... Yes, you know, in New York and California, things are skewing more, you know, liberal progressive. Um, however, I, I mean, the, the blowback that we're seeing in the flyover states and in the red states and, you know, my state, um, you know, the, the, the Republicans who are willing to say, well, we don't necessarily like Trump, but he's better than the alternative. And that's still the narrative. And, you know, we don't necessarily, um, you know, like this this brand of Christianity or like this brand of, of political rhetoric, but it's better than what the other side is putting out there. And I, I don't see the that kind of evangelical view like slipping into obscurity anytime soon. I think the opposite is going to happen, and we're all going to be in the handmaid's tale. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one way this ends. There's only and that's one way this dystopian ends. novel. <laughs> <laughs> And that's with bonnets and red dresses. Yeah. So what do you think? Tweet us. I don't know. I mean, I've, I've been wrong on plenty of predictions in the past, right? Um, Trump. <laughs> but I think that, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I've, I've admitted that multiple times. I wholeheartedly thought Clinton was going to win, and I was wrong. Um, yeah, yeah, of course you won the popular vote, et cetera, but that doesn't matter in our current electoral system. Um, problematic as it is, right? As a brief aside here, I'm not for abolishing the electoral college because I don't think um, a, just a straight popular vote is actually much better. No, um, and God, but I these liberals that who are throwing that out the, there. Ugh. Right, it's it's a 
it's bad, right? And for a lot of reasons that we don't have to get into. But I, I will say that the Electoral College is fundamentally weighted toward rural states and that their, um, they have a, their votes in the Electoral College count more than, um, coastal and urban states votes count. And you may think, well, they need that, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is the vast majority of people in this country live on the coast and live in urban cities, you know, in urban areas. So anyway, so I, I'm not for a popular vote. I don't think that's, that's, that's the answer by any means. Um, I, I would be an advocate of changing, uh, some, you know, tweaking the electoral college. Anyway, um, yeah, so I was wrong about Trump for sure. Um, there are ways you can do it that aren't gerrymandered. Uh, and if anything, it's gerrymandered now and it needs to be kind of ungerrymandered. We need well, to unskew the elect. It's, it's something that we fought with since the beginning of the country, you know, whether it was three fifths of a, of a man in the original constitution or, you know, just in the constant fight between slave state, free state, north, south, you know, it's the agricultural versus the urban, you know, it's been this contentious I mean, right. it's, it's, it's not going to be solved it's by landowners, right? I mean, yeah. we, st we still have this kind of tradition of landowners that have the power. Absolutely. Right. Right. And, you know, I mean, that I don't think that's going to change. I don't think that that constant sort of friction between those two natures of, of America, if you will, is going to change um, unless we see something like a huge influx of, of immigrants, which, you know, uh, the number of Hispanic and Latino uh, evangelicals. It grew about ten something percent, um, you know, in that religious uh, landscape survey. But yeah, I don't know. I, I just I don't know. I, I don't think I don't think we're we're skewing the the liberal progressive way in this country. Doesn't feel like it. I mean, there are going to be pockets of that, sure, but you know, I mean, but if you look at things like I mean, if you just look at like trend lines on like same sex marriage and transgender rights and things like that, we are. I mean, they're trending in that direction for sure. Um, and sure, it's led by urban areas, but that's where most people are. And, and you know, and we can do it from that, from the data kind of trend line perspective. We can also do it anecdotally. And uh, plenty of people that I know that uh, five years ago were adamantly um, anti-same-sex uh, marriage are now kind of like, I, I really don't think it's that big of a deal. Right. I mean, yeah, you see blowback. I mean, significant amounts of blowback. And, and that is created uh, largely the situation we're in now. My. A my that's blowback and it's not sustainable and it's not representative, uh, truly. And um, I, I guess but I also think like. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, was just saying, I mean, this is part of this. I, it doesn't just have to be representative, right? I don't think that you ever put the rights of minority up to a majority vote because they will almost always lose. Uh, but with that said, the majority of the country is moving left on a lot of these social issues. That's a question, though. What is left and right when it comes to something like homosexual unions or when it comes to marijuana legislation? Like, yes, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, even those were left and right type issues. But again, I mean, yeah, to be anecdotal, I mean, there, there are lots of people I know who would be okay with, you know, who are okay with, with Obergefell, um, who are okay with South Carolina. Just last week, we you can grow hemp in South Carolina again as a farmer. Can't grow weed. But, I, you know, I definitely see a time in the next decade where South Carolina legalizes marijuana, you know, selling. Um, 
and I don't I don't think those issues are right and left anymore. You know, the things that we we would call traditional oh, like, I, I, issues. Yeah. So it's it's hard to get a gauge on that. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. And we are seeing we are seeing a recentering or a reshifting, right? We're seeing a shifting right. of, the, of these. But from a traditional perspective, uh, when you're talking about like social justice um, issues, uh, I think that that largely what is traditionally being understood as the position of the left uh, is winning out. Well, it doesn't that, mean it's, I mean, and yeah, I, I guess, you know, my my frustration with some of that is that the traditional way that liberals uh, approached things from uh, trying trying to accomplish so, social justice goals, um, you know, kind of the top down uh, Department of Education heavy, you know, we're, we're, the federal government is going to tell you what to do. That type of approach isn't going to work. All, you know, all across the United States. And that's why we're having the blood bank we have now, whether it's the EPA or Department of Education or just learning in general. Um, and when we see people like Nikki Haley, who were, who were kind of taking this pragmatic approach and saying, yes, you know, we, we think that pollutants are contributing to climate change and there are some things we can do about it that will help us create jobs. Like, oh, OK, well, that's that's good. Don't lecture me, but, you know, show me a solution that is going to help me. Um Yes, you know, high urban rates of childhood poverty and, and food insecurity are terrible things, and we should fix that. Well, we, uh, but if we do that, it's going to create jobs, and it's going to incre increase the state GDP, and it's going to do this and this and this, and it's going to save us money, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, right. And 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 yeah, so I agree. One dollar I mean, in Medicaid, we get eighteen dollars out of it. You know, it's it's let's not cut Medicaid because it's actually saving us a you know crap ton of money. Um, right. It is, it's cheaper for for municipalities and states to um, just completely pay for housing homeless people than it is uh, than the current system of incarcerating them and the bills that they have to pay with medical bills and things like that. Right. Exactly. So we know all right. these things. The problem is one. There are a couple problems. One, largely liberals aren't making. I would agree the argument uh, in there. They don't have effective messaging in the arguments that they're making. Because we're putting up right, people like because Clinton it's and, the and right thing. Biden from the last generation who who couldn't make those arguments because they would be seen as conservatives. You know, right? But also we need like, to hand over. But the not reins. just them. I, I think you know, young uh, liberals are are just as guilty of this, if not more so. Of well, you want to be on the right side of history. That that okay? Yeah, some people do. Uh, but some people think that you're wrong about that, that you're going to be on the wrong side of history and that their position is the right side of history. So that's not a way to kind of win them over. So you have to make different arguments for different groups and you have to actually think through your issues from a multitude of perspectives. So I think you're absolutely right on that. And I think um, for decades, uh, the Republican Party has um, consistently bested the Democratic Party when it comes to messaging. I think we're seeing that change. Only because the Republican Party is imploding on itself on messaging right now because of Donald Trump and the Democratic Party has not gotten much better, but they have a chance to if they would but take it. They have a chance to get better on messaging. We'll see if they do. That's a good point. Um, and it's got to be at the local level. They've got to stop trying to run, yes. you know, run just the presidential or, or major Senate elections and saying, oh, well, South Carolina, Georgia, those are red states. Florida, that's a red state. You know, because I mean, there were there were lots of serious questions here in South Carolina, but especially in places like Georgia, where uh, you know, the, even at the presidential level, it was like, oh wow, there are lots of 
there's a lot of blue here. Like, why don't we, you know, approach that from the, the local level? Yeah. And that's because we don't have the messaging to to do that in, in rural Georgia and rural South Carolina. Um, but we have it if we play the cards right, you know, in Atlanta and Charlotte and Columbia. And I don't know. It's um, people should just hire us to, to do this stuff for them. We have all the answers. What we've been trying to say for a long time. And you'll get to uh, <laughs> our domain to fire us as consultants. So is it, so is it, uh, so it's what? Uh, is it Kafefe, Kafifi, Kafef? You know, so there's been like a kind of discussion going on. How do you say Kafefe? I do, I do. And since I hold the .net, I'm going to say that's canonical. But um, the, I've I mean, seen it. I've, it, I've, it about authority, and you have the authority to, to make that pronouncement. According to the Google, that's right. Uh, I'm going to get silver back on your ass. Um, I've heard it said as, can, what is it, like almost like a, a French style, or as like convey yeah. or something. <laughs> but yeah. I, I think you, you have to throw salt when you when you say it that way. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. And, and the uh, I, I was listening to a, a tech podcast uh, that I love. It's called... Um, do by Friday. It's not really tech. It's it's the the head of uh, Cards Against Humanity, um, yeah. and, and one of his uh, one of the uh, the people there, Alex, who and she's she's really really funny, and uh, they they do it with Merlin Mann, who's sort of internet famous. Anyway, it's a great show. It's it's not safe for work language wise, but you know what is. Um, Anyway, so they, they were talking about this, and they, they go into politics and tech, and it, it, they're supposed to have an assignment every Friday. So, like, this one was watch Guard, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and, and um, compared to the first one, because evidently the second one kind of sucks, and everyone's pissed off about it. So, um, and, and one was, like, try these uh, try these powders that you mix into your water to, to get more testosterone or something. <laughs> so, it's, it's, it's kind of a fun show. Um, yeah. So, anyway, they, they were talking about Conveife, and... Um, the guy from Cards Against Humanity, who's a flaming liberal, uh, said he thinks it's it's a conspiracy, using that term loosely, to distract people from the real story that is, you know, the Russia leaks, the Comey stuff, and that Trump know, uh, knew exactly what he was doing and did it at 12.03 a.m. so that, you know, Twitter would sit on this overnight and be like, what the hell is going on? And then, you know, he, he puts out this tweet in the morning that's like, ha, 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 have fun with that. And it was, you know, uh, yet another time in, in a repeated series of events where he's tweeted out these kind of absurd things to, you know, throw a, throw a bone over the, the fence so that the dog, you know, gets distracted. And, you know, for the last few days, it's all we've been talking about. And, you know, Merlin and, and Alex were like, no, you know, that's that's not he's just an idiot and you know he 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 ignored spell check or <laughs> whatever like how do you spell that with <laughs> cuz he's using an iphone I have now. no idea you know so like yeah you, you can't misspell like the even only app Twitter on Twitter app, app. Yeah. <laughs> right right but it it autocorrects so unless you have to you know i mean there've been times when i'm trying to type something and it's it's jargon you know and it'll it'll autocorrect for me and i'm like oh no i really do want to say postpartian you know, so it's it's like back up, back up, back up. Okay, here's here's the right word. Um, so unless he was like copying and pasting that or something like that, there was there was some kind of intentionality there. Anyway, it, it's a good argument. I like that argument. 
Yeah, well, you, so you also have all these people on, um, on Reddit. They're like, oh, if you trans, it translates from Arabic to I will stand up. And he tweeted it right after the Kabul attack. And that's like a, you know, a, a, he's making this big point. And it's, I mean, no, that, that's not what that, it means. That's, that's completely, completely nonsensical. Yeah. I've seen right, that, that tens, at least 10 times, probably yeah. a dozen or more yeah. on my Facebook newsfeed over the last few days. But the larger problem with, with that argument, um, in my opinion, is Trump is not that smart. This I, there's this fetishization on the left that like Trump is playing 26 moves ahead of us in this game of chess, and I just fundamentally believe he's not that smart. I think he has instincts, and I think he relies on those instincts, and those were obviously the right things to rely on for the sole purpose of getting elected. Um, but so he's beyond like that, he's just not that smart. He's, he's not playing uh, maybe poker. maybe he's playing that yeah exactly so yeah absolutely so i that that's what i think um but it, it doesn't that, make sense that he would i mean throw like that look at like his comments on the on the pair well okay the other th- two things one is that since election day liberals have been like oh don't like this is the distraction distract you it's you know got to be on you, know, you got to focus on trump russia not everything's a distraction like it's just all uh, just a, a cluster, right? It's just all screwed up. It's all insane. Okay, so not everything is this distraction and this like kind of brilliantly played out, you know, hand of poker or game of chess or something. But the other thing, like, look at his comments about the Paris Accord. And he's like, oh, we gotta, you know, get out. This is a bad deal. And he's like, you know, I was elected to be president of Pittsburgh and not Paris and all. And one, I mean, yeah, there's the kind of laughable thing that he didn't win Pittsburgh and all that. But two, if you read his comments closely, it looks like. He really thinks this is about like Paris, the city. Like he he apparently, I mean, I, I can't imagine that he and has he's actually off that, that read. Macron, like uh, you know, held his hand for too long. And yeah, exactly. And... Emmanuel Macron, uh, you know, kind of bested him in the handshake business, and he's and then, <laughs> right? I mean, what did the article say? Wasn't the, the Philip Bump article that was like, you know, he was basically pissed off that this you know person, thirty-one years his junior, yeah. was kind of joking about him, making fun of him, and so he's like, we're going to pull out the Paris Accord. Like, he doesn't know what the hell it's about. <laughs> well, it goes back to our uh, standing thesis here from most of the show. <laughs> he's, you know, he's just showing up. and He's ignorant, and he doesn't care to change that. But he's the president. He won. He's got a map that shows it. And that's all he cares? Right, yeah. He, yes, he does. He, he got his validation there. Electoral College in the White House, because that's all he cares about. I think he's he's still shocked by it, and I, I I think largely, and that's why he keeps talking about it. And now he's like, you know, like you know, the kind of classic cliche metaphor: he's the dog that caught the car. He didn't know what the hell to do. <laughs> my my other favorite cliche as we wrap up here is uh, if you take the atomic um, atomic numbers for the um, for the elements represented. So I think it's cobalt, vanadium, iron, iron. So you know, you take their atomic numbers, add them up. Put that into into the Google, and the, the top result is a, a green frog statue. I've done it so myself. Like it's true, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the, uh, the the myth of the. Have we done Have we done Gematria with it yet to see if it adds up to you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's on the next Ancient Aliens. Yeah, uh, let's get a. Um, hold on. Here we go. We're gonna gonna pull up a Gematria calculator here real quick. Do you have one? Um, uh, well, you're on the internet. There's one on the internet. All right, C O V F E F E E. 
Um, it oh, I mean, Hebrew it's seven hundred and seventy-five. That doesn't really. Let's see what else gives us seven hundred and seventy-five. This will tell us a lot. Um, the throne of Lucifer. There it is. That's what we know. Yep, the throne of Lucifer. I mean, and also a hundred different other things like Sitting Bull Karma of, or the chapter of Newit, or Viking, or Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> he's definitely the. He's definitely sitting on the throne of Lucifer, dressed as a Viking at the Cheesecake. That's what it means. That's for you know. Um, for let him who has ears to hear. hear. <laughs> 